What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Dan Baer's interview with the director for Anselm, Vin Vendors. Menschen suchen ja das Leichte, weil sie das Schwere nicht sehen wollen. Darum gibt es diese Leichtigkeit. Welcome everyone to the next Best Picture Podcast, where we are talking with Wim Wenders, the legendary director of the new film Anselm. Wim Wenders, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Daniel, and I'm very grateful that you pronounced my name right. Uh, because I myself tend to call myself Wim Wenders when I'm in America. And I'm happy to make that extra effort. I always try. <laughs> Thank you again for joining us. I've been really looking forward to speaking with you, um, especially about this particular film. I, In my former life, I was a dancer and choreographer, and Pina, I think, is just one of the most brilliant films i've ever seen the way that you were able to shoot those dances in 3d just took everything to a new place cinematically and this is your i believe your second documentary that you've shot in 3d would you consider ever shooting a non-documentary in 3d i did once and i mm. made a called everything will be fine it was a story a dramatic story with James Franco and some other great people. And I shot it in Canada and I shot it in 3D because I wanted to prove that a 3D can enhance storytelling. Mm. And somehow I feel miserably because most theaters showed it in 2D. Ugh. And because the prejudice that 3D was a tool for action or animation was so big that to see a storytelling process in 3D, for some reason, maybe I did something wrong. I think it was a fine film in 3D, but it went unnoticed. So, so how do you determine, you know, whether you're looking at whatever project you're working on, be it a fiction narrative film, a documentary, you've shot music videos and over the course of your career, how do you determine whether this is worthy of being shot in 3D versus this can be shot on regular film. With Pina, it was obvious. Mm. Trying to imagine for a long time already with Pina how I could enter with my camera into her kingdom and always realized my tools were just not good enough until I saw my first film, Digital 3D, and realized there was a path. And that's what I needed. I would have to get my hands on these on this new kind of 3d and and then i could film her work finally appropriately and i could finally dare even putting up my camera without knowing i would just have to fail because 
dance is something so emotional when you see it and when you film it it loses so much in each time so i just needed it it was so obvious and it worked well because it did translate the emotion of pina's new art which was dance theater with answer there's nobody dancing but you also i'm also facing the problems i was trying to show so much and seeing Anselm's work and being in the places especially in this huge art landscape that he created in the southern in the south of France of being in his studios that that just blow every proportion that you could possibly imagine you have to see so much and you have to be there so much because seeing his art like in a catalog or in a book is so poorly convincing as opposed to being confronted to it that I realized I needed the ally of 3D again to show and to show the aura of his work and to show and to make people really experience and be confronted to his work. And so from the beginning I wanted to do it in 3D. And I think I think I was right. I think I did see the film in 2D because some theaters do show it in 2D. And it's not so much an experience. It then is a regular movie. Yeah. And there are other movies about painters. And you know a lot about them afterwards, but you do not really have an experience with their art. And in Ansem in 3D, you leave and you've had an experience. Absolutely. It makes all those art pieces feel really tactile in a way that I don't think I've ever seen anything feel on film before. Like I could really like put my hand out in front of me and and touch everything that he was working on. It looks incredible. You know, you you mentioned that 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 space, that larger than life space, his studio, it's full to bursting with art everywhere in inside outside when you were shooting there how did you keep yourself focused on the thing you were meant to be shooting as opposed to all this other artwork that's surrounding you well i wanted to make a film that would immerse people in his art so it's fine i thought if you see too much and if you see just an incredible like an airplane hanger where art is hanging on the ceiling and on the walls and you're, you're zigzagging across it and you have to take a bike to even drive through it. I thought it was fine because it's all piece of Ansem's work. And and the film is a little bit, especially his, his huge studios, these airplane hangers, this is almost like you take a tour through his brain and as an audience, you have access to his brain. And you see a lot of work, yes, and but some of it is unfinished, some of it is demolished, some of it is remnants from other from big from buildings he did and from all sorts of things. It's just a, an incredible amalgam of stuff, of art, and there's so much you don't even know where to look. But all of it is his brain, and after a while you get used to seeing that that all of what you see is, so to speak, a trip into his brain. 
And how long have you known him? We met in person for the first time in 1991. I was editing a film and I always went to the same restaurant around the block. And one, it was a Viennese restaurant and really beautiful and you could smoke and listen to good music at the same time. And one night, this man comes, on smoke, comes in smoking a big cigar, which was totally legal, and looking around and realizing there was no table left and there was only a chair left on my table and he sat at my table. And I realized, hey, this must be Anselm Kiefer. And he looked at me and and realized I was Wim Wenders, and he, noted, he had seen Paris, Texas, and other films of mine. And so we started to talk and and really got along fine and were the last people to leave the place late at night. And he then said, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, I'm going to be here again. And he said, so will I. So we almost talked for three weeks every night. Wow. And became really close to each other. And I got to know a lot about him. And especially that his secret dream was to make movies. And he found out from me that all my young life, I had wanted to become a painter until the age of mm. 22. And then was overwhelmed by the possibilities of cinema and decided that it was even better than painting. So, But still, I always, still today, sometimes regret that I didn't become a painter and was always the big alternative to, alternative to my life. So knowing that of each other, we really shook hands one day and said, well, we're bound to do something together. And now, the fact that it's 30 years is fine because I don't know. I don't know if I would have been able to do a film like Ansem then in 1992 or 93. 3D was not invented and I had not yet started to make documentaries. And I don't think I would have had the freedom that I just took when I made Ansem. And how much of his process for making these incredible pieces of art how familiar were you with that process before you started filming i was guessing sometimes <laughs> his work had left me guessing how did he do this and how did he achieve all this stuff and how especially how what did he do to make time appear in his paintings how what was it that he did that made that incorporated time like almost material into his paintings and and only seeing him do what he does with his paintings and almost destroying them with fire with lead with dust with all sorts of stuff he puts them in the oven to bake them for four weeks as if they were lying in the sahara he really does a lot of stuff that only time can do and that sort of gets the idea of time into them and when you look at them you have a different impression of what time means in what in the in what he paints he does paint everything he paints the universe there's paintings of just the universe and stars and there's paintings of microcosm and atoms and and there's paintings of history and there's paintings of mythical figures and there's paintings of religion and you name it, of poetry. He just decided that everything could be painted. 
And in order to be able to paint everything, you have to deal with time. And he managed that. And I never knew how the heck did he do that. And only seeing him work, I made it made me aware, first of all, how long it took. And some of his paintings undergo 20, 30 years of treatment. And what he exposed his work to, sometimes risking to read and even totally destroy them in order to show the effect of time. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I think one of the most memorable images from the film, one that has stuck with me, is him working on this piece that looks like it's about two or three stories tall, and he's up there on a lift with a blowtorch. <laughs> Yeah. torching these these pieces of straw and that was when i first like really like so it took my breath away how real and right in front of me and tactile everything felt his artwork has so many different textures to it everything that we see in the film feels different how did you make that artwork that lives in germany and france feel so tactile and present on screen what how did you come up with the filming process to bring that to life it did take a while i wasn't quite sure in the beginning how i could confront it and how i could adjust the language i was using or 3d to his language and how i could capture it and i just realized it would take time and that i couldn't do it in one go and i told him right away answer i'll be I come and visit you quite often. I cannot do it in one, two, or three goes. And I did have seven different shooting installments, each of them like a week, 10 days, a couple of them even longer, over two and a half years. And I altogether spent three years in the editing room to let it grow and edit and edit and find out what was I still missing. And that became then the subject of the next shoot. And then again, I would come back and edit to find out what else did people need to see in order to understand his work or be exposed to it and have the experience that the art could sufficiently speak for itself? It took a long time, and it's like no other movie I made before. Certainly have nothing to do with Pina. That was more or less shot in one go. And I had to find out during the making how to evolve my own language of filmmaking to make it to make to enable it to seize his art and it comes across so so beautifully everything that you've been talking about like especially how he captures time in his paintings you, you even managed that I, th I think do you think the protracted shooting period that those you know seven trips over two and a half years do you think that helps with you putting across that concept of how he works with time? 
Oh, absolutely. If if I only had my first and second or third shoot, the first efforts to, <laughs> to, to look at it and to capture it, you would have had a very conventional film. It took a long time. It took also some guts or some understanding to realize, well, some of it I couldn't shoot with him and some of it couldn't be done by just shooting the work itself. I had to find an actor, in this case his own son, mm -hmm. to play his father as a young man. And I had to find a little boy to play Ansem at the age of eight or nine in order to really give a complete picture and in order to get to the heart of Ansem's work, which is really, if you ask me, the fact that this is a man who managed to keep some of some of his own childhood alive in him. Because that's the most creative part of our lives is in our childhood. And we have so many impressions and we see so much and we learn so much. And Ansem being born right after the war, he certainly got a handful of impressions when he grew up. And so, and I'm convinced that the width of his art and the incredible creativity, this outburst of creative stuff in him is due to the fact that he has access to that kid he once was and that kid he was growing up after the war. So I eventually realized I had to get into that territory. And so I had to take the liberty to find a boy who could reenact the man as a, as a child when he was already a great painter. He was already a very gifted painter when he was a boy. So I would not have dared that in the first year. It, I did some of this stuff only after two or even later at the end of the film. And and it all came out of a need to present a complete picture of the scope of his work. And I, more than any other film of mine, it needed time to to find out how film or 3D technology could get close to it and could really seize the the scope of it. Yeah. We are coming up on the end of our time together. Uh, but before we go, I, I had to ask Tina and some this feels like it's calling out to be a triptych of 3D documentaries about German artists. Are you planning on doing another? <laughs> well, I'm planning on doing a film about a, an architect, but he happens to be Swiss. Okay. His name is Peter Zumtor, and he's right now building the new LACMA in Los Angeles. <sighs> and he's all the great architects of this world dream that in another life, they're Peter Zumtor because he only builds very little and has a little office and takes the liberty to just be very, very picky about what he does and what he does not. And he does did a few amazing buildings and the LACMA will be the biggest thing he's done, I assume, and it will be gorgeous. So I'm making a film, it's a long-term project. We already started shooting years ago and I would start and uh, shoot another two years. But it's not going to go, be called Peter. So <laughs> Pina and Ansem, I think I could have made a film in between called Pope, but yeah. <laughs> I didn't call the film on the Pope. So I think 
I'm not going to do any more movies with just the name. <laughs> I mean, you look like a movie called Daniel right now. <laughs> Sitting in front of the universe. I do, right? <laughs> Floating around space. But maybe move away from choreography. Oh, I... Life circumstances happened. It, you know, one has certain things that one has to do in life and the choreography was not um, bringing in enough to support my, me on its own, <laughs> unfortunately. I, I get it. So I hope you, you remember it fondly, though, and you keep do. a sense of it and you keep involved. So thank you very much for our talk. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Dan Bear's interview with the director for Anselm, Vim Vendors, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Anselm is up for your consideration for the 96th Annual Academy Awards for Best Documentary Feature and will be released in New York theaters on Friday, December 8th at the IFC Center and the Walter Reed Theater at Lincoln Center from Janice Films. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening as always, and we will see you all next time. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chipotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.